Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. We've been talking about on Wednesday evenings cooperating with God. And it's important and imperative to all of us that we do so. For example, we talked about how Naaman, when he was told to dip in the river seven times, he didn't do it at first, but then he did afterwards. Well, it's also true if, if he would have dipped just six times, would he have received a miracle? Absolutely not, because he didn't fully cooperate with God and do it God's way. He had to do it seven times to get his miracle. And so it was imperative that he cooperate with God fully and do what God would have him to do. Well, it wouldn't have been God's fault if he didn't receive his miracle. It would have been our fault or his fault. Same is true with us when it comes to our lives as well. It's important that we understand, even though God is almighty, he's awesome. We understand that. We know that he is seated upon the throne. Not everything that takes place on earth represents his perfect will for our lives. We've got an enemy out there who comes to steal, kill, and destroy even though Jesus came to give us life and that more abundantly. It's up to us to cooperate with God to enforce what belongs to us in Christ so that we can rise up above whatever the enemy throws our way, use our faith, call upon the name of Jesus and the things of God, and destroy the works of darkness. Praise God and be victorious in this life. Now I want you to look with me in James chapter 4 and verse 3 as we continue our study. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. When it comes to prayer, prayer is the same way. These people fail to receive from God because their asking was, notice this word amiss. It means bad in the Greek. It means wrong. It means inappropriate. And then look at the definition of strongs. He defines it as an inner malice flowing out of a morally rotten character. Think about that, the depth of that statement. In other words, his motive is wrong. Their motives were wrong. They were asking with wrong motives bad motives or inappropriate motives and for those reasons they weren't receiving from God so when it comes to prayer it's important that we follow God's instructions and that we approach him in prayer the way he's instructed us to do so so now look at some of these instructions that he has given us in the word with regard to prayer number one first of all it's imperative that we ask according to his will I need to know his will first John 5 14 15 makes it very clear. If we ask anything, this is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything, how according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then we know we have the petition we desire of him. So we must ask how? According to his will. So we must know his will before we ask. And if we don't know his will, then we ask his will so that by his spirit we can have a revelation of his will or through the word we can have a revelation of his will. Why? So that we can ask according to his will because if I ask according to his will, I know he hears me. And how important is that? Because if I know he hears me, I know I have whatever petition I've desired of him. That's how I know I have it. Remember what Jesus said, I know that you heard me. Before the grave of Lazarus, he said, I know that you heard me. When I said this sickness is not unto death. And that's how he raised him from the dead. But secondly, it's important that we understand our need to agree with the word of God. We must agree with the word of God and pray according to his word. So look at John's gospel chapter 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me 
and my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, there's your prayer, and it will be done or shall be done unto you. So the word has to abide in us. It's not enough just to abide in him. We need to understand the word has to have its place in our hearts and lives. Because if we ask according to his word, then we know we're asking according to his will. Anything and everything the word says is ours, God wills in our lives. So it's important that we understand the need for us to walk together with him. As Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together except they be what? Agreed. We have to agree and ask according to his word. Number three. And this is so essential. And sometimes we slack off and back off of some of these things that Jesus taught us. But yet they're so true. Asking the Father in the name of Jesus. Look at John 16 verses 23 through 27. And remember, this is Jesus speaking. In that day you shall ask me, what? Nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father, how? In my name he will give it you. Hitherto or up till now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs. But I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name. Now notice this how important this is. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. So some have been taught you can pray to other people that are up there in heaven and they'll ask Jesus and then Jesus will ask the Father. Right there, what does he say? At that day you shall ask in my name and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. He's not praying to the Father for us. It's up to us. And why is it up to us? Look at the next verse, verse 27. This is what he wants us to know. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came out from God. So isn't that powerful? You can ask the Father in Jesus' name. And the reason why is because he loves you. And when we know how much he loves us and we ask in Jesus' name, he says it will be granted to you. But remember, it's because we're asking according to his word and because we know his will and we ask according to his will. Next one, number four. Again, when we're asking in prayer, it's important that we ask By following the instructions. Number four is asking with unwavering faith. In James chapter one, six through eight, we read. But let him ask in faith. The previous verse talked about asking for wisdom or anything. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So if we violate any of these instructions, we can be asking inappropriately or in a bad way, in a wrong way. So it's important that we understand our need to follow the instructions and do what he says to do. Look at the next one. And this is probably the biggie on the list. It's a very big one as well as the last one. But being free from worry and anxiety and fretting. Notice in the book of Philippians, with regard to prayer, what Paul said. Chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Be careful for what? Nothing. That means don't stress over, don't have anxiety over, or worry, or fret over anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, 
Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, whatsoever things of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Notice the instructions. Don't worry. Pray with thanksgiving. God's peace will garrison about your heart and mind. And then start thinking on things that are productive. Don't think the problem. So if we follow these instructions, obviously we can be guaranteed our answer to prayer. But if we don't, if we worry and have anxiety over the situation, what can happen? We can short circuit the power of God and prevent it from coming to pass. And then finally, and the last one is what we began with. Notice it's the number six, or six being properly motivated. They weren't. Look at James once again, chapter four, verse three, being properly motivated. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. And what was it? That you may consume it upon your lust. So this is the inappropriate way they were asking. They wanted God to do for them, but they were selfish in their motives. They wanted to consume it upon their lust, feed their lust, etc., etc. And he says, you're not going to get it. So it's inappropriate to ask that way. And it's essential that we understand our need to follow the instructions, just like Naaman or anybody else that we see obeying God. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. He went and washed and got healed. Go fill up the water pots and do whatever he says to do. And that's exactly what they did. And when Jesus said, take up your bed and walk, they took up their bed and they walked. Following the instructions produces results. And that's what we want. So when it comes to praying for our nation, look at the 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When it comes to prayer and we're fasting, we're praying, we're waiting on God, we're believing the hand of God is upon this nation in a powerful and glorious way. We're celebrating our independence and we thank God that we have it. Aren't you glad you live in the United States of America? Aren't you glad you live in the greatest country on the world, in the world and on earth? Aren't you glad you've got freedom, praise God, uh, to serve God the way you want to serve God? Absolutely. We live in a great land and we should appreciate that so very, very much. All right, look in 1 Timothy. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, prayer, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceful life in our godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice the motivation. There's threefold motivation here revealed to us in these verses. Number one, it's absolutely important that we understand our need to lift up those people that are in positions of authority. And really, it's all men. Even those that are authority figures, political leaders and all that, it's all men. Why would Paul write on this subject if we have nothing to do with what's taking place in our government? Remember, governments were ordained of God, not man. God set them in position. God set them in place, and he had a reason for doing so, to promote those who are good and also to prosecute those that are evil, right? So number one, it's to see to it that we preserve peace in this land in which we live, civil rights, etc. Number one, the powerful motivation because we want to preserve, preserve our lives. Aren't you glad that you can go to bed at night with your head resting on the, on the pillow of God's promises? Then there's peace there in this land. Aren't you glad? I'll tell you what, we grew up in neighborhoods. I know I grew up in my neighborhood where you didn't have to lock your doors. You didn't have to lock your doors. No concern about anything that was wrong or evil. It was a wonderful neighborhood, just no crime, etc., etc. You can go to bed at night and just in perfect peace. We know we can lose that. There are good people and there are people that are wrong in leaderships, in positions of leadership. And we have the privilege of praying for both. 
whether they be good or whether they be bad. We can lift them up before the throne of God because God told us this is the motivation. So that you can preserve peace in your life, in your home, civil rights and liberties, maintain, etc., etc. So it's important that we pray for these people in positions of authority. Now remember this. You may get on your knees one day and just, or every day, and just say, why am I even doing this? What impact does my prayer have on what's taking place in the world? Well, let me tell you this right now. The impact will be upon your life for being obedient to do what God said to do in his word. And you know what? If we all join together and do what God said to do in his word, he's going to have to respond by doing what he said he would do to bring peace into our lives, into our homes, etc. Number two, the second motivation. He said, that it's acceptable. This is good and acceptable. It pleases God, in other words, when we do this. It's acceptable to Him. It's pleasurable to Him. It produces uh, peace in our lives, but also it's pleasing to the Father when you and I pray to promote righteousness, holiness, and godliness in this earth. It's up to us to do this, knowing that God is going to respond to our prayers. And so, why am I praying for all men? Why am I praying for my civic leaders? Why am I praying for politicians? Why am I praying, am I praying for our pre- president, vice president, and congressman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Why are we doing that? Because we know, number one, we want to preserve the peace that we have, and we know, number two, it pleases God when we do it. And when God is pleased, praise God, with us, his favor will be upon us. And number three, and oh, how important is this last one? Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? God wills the salvation of all mankind. Notice where he puts that in. He puts it right in there, inserts it right in there. It pleases him, yes, because he wants all men to be saved. Believe it or not, all men includes the good and the bad. If we can define it that way, good and bad. I know people are morally good, but that doesn't mean they're saved. Morally good people will be lost. We do realize that, don't we? And they need their eyes open to the truth so that they too can be saved. And so if we will join together forces with God on this earth and pray the way he's asked us to pray for all these people, all these men in positions of authority, as well as all men, whether they're uh, civic leaders, whether they're even our our people in our school systems and all that, if we'll just make it a, a priority of prayer, praise God, then we'll promote the will of God. And these are the three things that represent the will of God. He wants all men to acknowledge the truth and all men to walk in the light of the truth and the truth to do what impact our behavior our conduct our character our attitudes beloved you've heard me say this over and over again I'm going to give you a a tremendous message just on marriage you know what it is we don't need to go to a thousand seminars if men would love their wives as Christ loved the church and if and, and as they love their own flesh And if women would be obedient and they would submit themselves to the leadership of their husbands, and if both would submit themselves to the leadership of Jesus Christ and live in the realm of love and walk in love, you've got yourself a relationship that would never, never be destroyed by any enemy. That's all we need to do. Be committed. Be committed to do it God's way. And if we'll both be committed to doing it God's way, then we will prevail, praise God, in every arena of life, every realm of life. But it's up to us to do it God's way. Amen. You believe that? Praise God. All right. Now, instructions. Notice here, when the nation is not obeying God. I call it a sick nation. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We know the verse 14, but there's some surrounding verses I want to point out. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard thy prayer. This is right after he prayed a dedicatory prayer. This is right after the glory fell upon the sacrifice. 
And also it's right after the glory that appeared was so powerful they couldn't stand to minister for by reason of the cloud. And so of course they were all excited and elated because they saw the glory of God in that place. But when he finally got done praying the dedicatory prayer there in the temple, notice what he says. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, now this is an act of judgment. In other words, you're walking away from the things of God, you're disobeying, you're dishonoring me, you're not doing what I said to do, you're not keeping my laws, my statutes, my judgments, my commandments. Then if my people that are under my judgment, which are called by my name, would, four things, humble themselves, Two, pray. Three, seek my face. Four, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. And you know we can spiritualize this place. This place could mean the temple where he said he dedicated the temple. But this place can also be a place of what? Humility, prayer, seeking the face of God. And repenting or turning from wicked ways. When God's people in that place. From their heart cry out to God. What will he do? He'll respond to that. He'll respond to that in three ways. He will hear from heaven. He will forgive their sin. And bring healing to their land. So notice we have four parts to play in this. Our part is to do what? Humble ourselves. What does that deal with? Pride. It deals with pride. You know. We are who we are and have what we have and know what we know and can do what we can do. Not because of ourselves, but because of him. Everything we have, all that we are, all that we know, all that we can do is based on all that he has put in us. He, he recreated us. We are his creation. We are his new creation. We are his masterpiece. And he's made deposits in our lives of himself, of his presence, his power, and his glory. And so as a result, we should be the most humble people on the planet. We cannot take any credit for anything that we have or what we can do when it all came from him. But then if we will humble ourselves and deal with pride issues and pray dealing with prayerlessness and I guarantee you it's the body of Christ that God is going to hold responsible for this nation and any nation on this earth if we will gather together and pray and believe that God will honor what he said in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If we will pray join forces together with God, there isn't anything that can stop the work of God from being accomplished or achieved if God's people will pray in faith believing. And what does that deal with? Prayerlessness. And the third thing, seek my face. That deals with priorities. And this is probably one of the biggest issues that we face in our culture today. Facing this issue of what? Priorities. Putting God first. Putting his word first, his ways, his will. Seeing to it that we live our lives and say, you are first. When I get up in the morning, or you, we all get up in the morning. Father, I need your presence. I need your Holy Spirit. I would like your spirit of obedience just to reside upon me, rest upon me, affecting my thoughts, my words, my deeds. And just reeling me in if I get out of bounds and say some things that displease you or dishonor you rather than just going about our day and just doing what we want to do acting the way we want to act and so on 
We put him first and just say, you are the priority. I'm seeking your face today and every day of my life. You're my savior. You're my redeemer. You're my healer, my baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. You are my everything, my all in all, my protector, my financier. You're my provision. You're my everything, Lord. And I'm putting you first in my life today. You know, I realize we got to go to work and all that. It doesn't take much to just utter those words as you've been driving down, the, down in your car down the street. It's a priority. You're first in my life. And then the next one, this deals with, this is turning from wicked ways. This, is, this deals with being presumptuous. Well, I, I couldn't be me. I couldn't do anything wrong. Hmm. All right. Repent of that and then God will take over. In other words, you know, the Israelites could be saying, well, what would we do wrong? What would we do wrong? That's a molten calf that you said brought you out of Egypt. And you say, what did we do wrong? Hmm. You're killing the prophets. And you say, what did we do wrong? And so on. So we need to prioritize our lives. But then also we need to repent on any, of any area of our life that we, maybe we displease God. Turn from wicked ways. And remember, wicked ways doesn't always mean that it has to be something so horribly wrong. You realize one of the worst things is found in our mouths called the tongue, evil speaking, and so on. You see, if I want my words to work for me, then I need to watch that my, my words and make sure that I'm saying things that will honor God. Can you say amen? Well, what will he do if we do those four things? He said, I will hear from heaven he's got good ears because heaven is a long way off but he can hear from heaven but you know what he will not hear if we don't do the first four isn't that what he said in Isaiah 59 your sins and iniquities have kept you kept me from you and you from me and I will not hear I want him to hear don't you want him to hear so I present myself to you father I'm asking you to shine a lot of your scrutiny upon my life. I'm asking you to highlight anything that I need to repent of. You know, it could be some things that we're unaware of, but yet he'll make them known if we truly are sincere, which is why we have to have contact with his holiness every single day of our lives. He'll make it known. Okay, Lord, I repent of that. I'm sorry for that. Forgive me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And when the enemy tries to use that against you, praise God, you just rise up and just say, that's in the sea of forgetfulness it is remitted by the blood of Jesus Christ and it no longer exists praise God he'll hear from heaven when you cry out to him but then aren't you glad he'll forgive the sin and when he says I forgive it he means he remits it thank God we have a better covenant with better promises they had their sins covered but ours are remitted they don't exist any longer they're absolutely in a sea of forgetfulness and God doesn't remind himself of anything we've done wrong any single any day of our lives and so thank God we could be guaranteed that it's remitted completely gone. I will forgive your sin. And then finally, the last thing is, I will bring healing to your land. Yes, I know he's referring to the land of Israel, the land of Jerusalem, the great city, the wonderful city of the great king. But also, what about the land of the Christian? What about your land? What about my land? You know what my land is? My personal self, my marriage, my children, uh, my associates, the workplace, anywhere I go, anywhere the soles of your feet tread upon, he says, I have given you the land. 
I want healing in my land. Do you want healing in your land? If we'll do what he said to do anywhere and everywhere these seven and a half triple E's go, he will go before me. Hallelujah. And he'll see to it that he brings healing to my land. Oh, thanks be to God. You want healing for your land tonight? Follow the instructions. This is like dipping in the water seven times. Just follow the instructions. And how, look, look, look how they play out. Look at here in uh, Joel chapter 2. And verses 12 through 14. Here we have an example. You know, these verses describe God's willingness to remove judgment upon the people when they cry out to him in repentance and prayer. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments it's not the outer man it's the inner man it's not just because you're in sackcloth and ashes it's the attitude of the heart it's the motive of the heart and turn to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil in other words he'll He'll lift up the judgment. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. And so as we come, we can be guaranteed that this is the kind of God that we serve. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He understands our frame. He knows our weaknesses. He knows we're going to miss the mark, the mark along the way, which is why he made provision of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a fountain flowing, praise God, for us to receive forgiveness anytime we miss the mark. So next, look at Daniel chapter uh, 9. This is a mistake there in your, your uh, notes. It's not chapter 9, uh, verses 3 through 19. And this is an example of it. Here is a nation in crisis. You know, think about the Israelites. They never got it right. You realize that. And if they did get it right, it didn't last very long. How many years were they in slavery in Egypt? Anybody know? Some say 430. Some around that number, right? Okay, how many years were they in Babylon in slavery or in, in captivity? 70 years, right? So because they disobeyed God, because they wouldn't keep his commandments, his laws, his statutes, his judgments, they found themselves in slavery or they found themselves in a foreign land, always under oppression. How many years have they been in a state of defilement 2000 why because they rejected the Messiah it was one thing they were disobedient and disobeyed the laws of God it was another thing that they killed the prophets and so on the lawmakers that came and gave to share with them the, the mind of the Lord and they got into captivity whether it's Egypt or, or Babylon but beloved when they rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah, they have been, by their own admission, I'm not making this up, by their own admission, in a state of defilement for 2,000 years. What does that go to show us? There's really not any more work to be done in Israel other than fulfilling Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27. Because you see, the Messiah has come, even though they're looking for a Messiah. Oh, they're going to see him at the end of the seven years of tribulation. They're going to see him and accept his atoning blood at that time. But right now, they haven't accepted that. They've been in this state of defilement for 2,000 years. Why? Because they rejected the Messiah and disobeyed God. And what did Jesus say? I would have taken you under my wings. I would have treated you so, so kindly. 
and welcomed you, but you would not. You refused it. They wouldn't cooperate with God. And that's why. Well, let's read on. Daniel's. So I turned to the Lord God and looked to him for help. I prayed, pleaded, and fasted in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God. I confessed and said, notice all these things are incorporated in Daniel's prayer while they're in captivity. I confessed and said, Lord, you are great and deserve respect as the only God. You keep your promise and show mercy to those who love you and obey your commandments. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned away from your commandments and laws. We haven't listened to your servants. Would you say that's cooperation? The prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, ancestors, and all the common people. You, Lord, are righteous, but we, the men of Judah, the citizens of Jerusalem, and all the Israelites whom you scattered in countries near and far are still ashamed because we have been unfaithful to you. We, our kings, leaders, and ancestors are ashamed because we have sinned against you. But you, Lord, our God, are compassionate and forgiving. Although we have rebelled against you, we never listened to, to you or lived by the teachings you gave us through your servants, the prophets. Never. All Israel has ignored your teachings and refused to listen to you. So you brought, us, you brought on us the curses you swore in, the, in an oath, the curses written in the teachings of your servant Moses. We sinned against you. So you did what you said you would do to us and our rulers by bringing a great disaster on us. Nowhere in the world has anything ever happened like what has happened to Jerusalem. This entire disaster happened to us exactly as it was written in Moses' teachings. Lord our God, we never tried to gain your favor by turning from our wrongs and dedicating ourselves to your truth. So you were prepared to bring this disaster on us. Lord our God, you are righteous in everything you do, but we never listened to you. Lord our God, you brought your people out of Egypt with your strong hand and made yourself famous even today. We have sinned and done evil things. Lord, since you are very righteous, turn your anger and fury away from your city, Jerusalem. Your holy mountain, Jerusalem, and your people are insulted by everyone around us because of our sins and the wicked things our ancestors did. Our God, listen to my prayer and request for your own sake. Look, or Lord, look favorably on your holy place, which is lying in ruins. Open your ears and listen, my God. Open your eyes and look at our ruins and at the city called by your name. We are not requesting this for you because we are righteous, but because you are very compassionate. Listen to us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Pay attention and act. Don't delay. Do this for your sake, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is a prayer of a man praying for his nation, praying for the city of Jerusalem, to have God's favor restored, to have judgment lifted. And look, at the, look how he cries out in his heart and fulfills everything 2 Chronicles 7.14 said to do. He humbled himself. He prayed. He sought the face of God. He repented on the behalf of the people and himself and said, Now, Lord, hear, forgive, and bring healing. And that's exactly what God did. He brought them out of bondage and, slay, and, and delivered them from the hand of the enemy. And our closing prayer, look at Nehemiah chapter 1. This is Nehemiah's prayer and once again a model prayer for us with regard to praying. Remember, we're praying for our, our nation. We're praying for revival. We're believing God for him to move in a powerful way. And also, not just our nation, our homes. This is for ourselves, our homes, uh, our families, and so on. And here it says, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, 
the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Here Nehemiah is praying and the first thing that he does, he exalts God and worships him. Similar to what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer when he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So I'm coming before your throne. I'm coming boldly by the blood of the Lamb and I'm coming to honor you first and foremost, my heavenly Father. Number two, look at verse uh, six and seven. He does exactly what he's instructed to do. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. So they were aware of what they were doing wrong. They recognized, at least he did, he recognized what the reason was that all this fell upon them. But you see, sometimes people are caught up in pride and they don't want to be responsible, let's say, for their behavior, for their conduct, for their attitudes and that sort of thing. But he realized the need to do so. And that's exactly what he did. Look at the next. And now, after confessing, he reminds God of his faithfulness to his promises. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses saying if you transgress I will scatter you abroad among the nations so that's the first part of it and that's exactly what happened but if you turn unto me if you turn unto me oh hallelujah it takes a turning back to God and keep my commandments and do them though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven Yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. It was based upon their repentance and it was based upon them turning back to God that he would fulfill a promise to bring them back together. So if the first part of it was fulfilled, we know that we could be guaranteed the second part of it will be fulfilled as well, which is why he once again appeals to the law of Moses. This is what you said. And then finally, he makes a request. And here's his request. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and a strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee. Thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. So he's now asking a request to be fulfilled in his life. You know, he, he said, I want to go before him without your favor. I don't want to go without your anointing. I don't want to go without your power in my life. So we see these things played out. Humility, they humbled themselves before God. They prayed before God. They sought the face of the Lord God. And then they turned from whatever it is that, you know, that they did wrong, which they admitted. And what did God do? God heard. What did God do? God forgave. What did he do? He healed. He brought healing to the nation. There is no nation on this earth that if they will, will do exactly what he said to do, that God wouldn't do the same thing for them. And I believe right here in this nation in which we live, and it's a nation I'm talking about, an individual I'm talking about, I'm talking about a family, I'm talking about the entire church, body of believers, no matter where, if we will do what he said to do, I guarantee you that God will do what he said if we'll do our part, God will do his part. 
And so we are here tonight to humble ourselves. We are here to pray. We are here to seek his face. We're here to turn from whatever displeases him so that he might hear, forgive, and bring healing. The last part is the healing. Oh, thank God. We can fulfill what he said to do. Follow his instructions and expect a move of God like we've never seen before. And you know where that begins? In me as an individual. Hallelujah. Are you satisfied with where you're at in God? We should never be satisfied where we're at in God. Have you got a hunger and a thirst for greater things in God? We should always have a hunger and always have a thirst if we want filled. Hallelujah. So tonight, let's do that. We can make a difference in this nation. You know, we, we have a responsibility to pray for our leaders and to pray, first of all, that they will cooperate with God. And if they won't, to pray that God would take them out of their position and replace them with someone that will honor him and his word and his will and his ways. And so if we'll do our part, God will do his part. And praise God, we can see his hand move upon this nation and upon our individual lives and families.